strap on the boots and scrape up the knuckles. Oh, what a hit! He got jacked. This is the Big Red Raid. Presented by Santan Ford in Gilbert. Murray's going to score. Touchdown. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. <laughs> the Rage is brought to you by Santan Ford in Gilbert. Are you Santan Ford? State Farm. Talk to an agent today at 800-STATE-FARM. And by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. The Red Sea is rising up. Temperature rising, vision blurring, rage taking over. Here's Paul Calvisi. I'm ready. I'm 100% ready. I'm telling you I'm ready. And Ron Wolfley. It doesn't get any better than that. Unleash the fury! Welcome in, everyone, to the Big Red Rage presented by Santan, Ford, and Gilbert. I'm Paul Calvisi, Ron Wolfley on assignment. Okay, he's on vacation. That's fine because you know what? We're going to run the up-tempo here tonight. We are proud to continue with our encore presentation of Cardinals Folktales, where you can't spell history without the word story. All-time anecdotes in Cardinals history. And tonight it's two for one. A little bit later, we're going to go back to Mexico City 2005, revisit the Cardinals' historic trip to Estadio Azteca. But off the top, we might need to apologize in advance here, considering it's dinner time, because maybe you've heard the cliche, leave a piece of yourself out on that field. Well, former Cardinal safety Rashad Johnson did exactly that back in 2013 at New Orleans as we hit the play button on this Cardinals folktales titled Nine More. Hearing about people climbing through a garbage can to get a fingertip out of a glove and all that, uh, even now kind of giving me the willies. I mean, you get your finger caught in a door or something, it hurts, so I can't even imagine. It's gruesome. The New Orleans voodoo-woodoo was a little crazy that week. When I heard about it, I was like, what? They're doing what? Like, how'd that happen? And in that moment, machinery comes in. I mean, where's the rest of the finger? It was just like, oh, y'all looking for his finger? Uh, Just check the trash. I think it's in his glove. You may want to get that glove out of the garbage can and see what the rest of the finger (laughs) looks like. And the glove is still intact. You know, it's normal. And like, well, let's just cut on up the finger and see. And they cut up the finger and it just falls right there on the table. We found out later that he got his finger stuck in this little small hole in the side of the guy's helmet and it just snapped it off. Boom, I hit it, happened, and I'm trying to shake it off, but as I'm shaking it, it's like some fires on the tip of it. The Arizona Cardinals lost a football game. Safety Rashad Johnson lost a piece of himself, literally. How do you explain to the coaches, yeah, he lost a finger and you know he's not gonna be ready I don't know how long. I'm telling you, Rashad thought it was like a war story, how he was explaining it to everybody. Look at my finger, you know, I'm just sending them pictures of it. And like, it's just, what? How did that happen? Like, what's going on? No rehab, no replacement, no growing back. Rashad Johnson didn't give the finger to New Orleans. He gave a finger. Look, I'm missing a finger, so 10% off, or, or we can't, the price isn't good. Welcome to Cardinals Folktales, nine more presented by Seeky, where we go in-depth into Cardinals history, all-time anecdotes through the recollections and memories of those who lived it, or in my case, those who covered it. My name is Paul Calvisi, Cardinals sideline reporter. This is the story of how Rashad Johnson's finger 
went viral. How his middle finger became the same length as his index finger. I think looking back on it now, we didn't realize how big of a story it was. Rashad Johnson, he's probably saying, I had to lose the tip of my finger to get on the Dan Patrick show. The question was asked, like, hey man, you know, you lost a portion of your finger, you lost a finger, you know, like, what are you going to do? Like, I got nine more. Here's Paul. Rashad Johnson out of the game right now, a finger injury, and his return is considered questionable, guys. Just wanted to send that update. We had no idea at the time of the injury. That brief sideline report was because we weren't briefed on the severity of the injury until, well, the gloves came off. Look, as an NFL player, you're paid a lot of money, partly because you run the risk of paying a heavy price. Like September 22nd, 2013, Cardinals against the Saints. Week three, headed into New Orleans, Superdome, Sean Payton, Drew Brees, Michael Colston. Big challenge for our secondary. Really excited about the opportunity to go in and play this game. And for Rashad, as a starting safety and one of the best tacklers on the roster, his duties included special teams and maybe the toughest task of all trying to corral the Saints' three-time Pro Bowl return man. They have Darren Sproles, who probably will be in the Hall of Fame one day. Uh, I'll just go on, go on record. Hell of a player. Uh, was a great player for the Saints, and everybody that knows Darren Sproles, you know, he's a smaller guy, quicker guy. He is so difficult to tackle. He's, I mean, he's like trying to catch a soap bubble on a beach. <laughs> just brutal. You're not always going to get a big shot, big hit on him. Uh, a lot of times you're going to be reaching. That's former Cardinals DB Gerard Powers, and that is foreshadowing because in a 7-7 game, late first half, the Cardinals on punk cover, and here comes that five foot six, 190-pound stick of dynamite. High kick, backing up, Sproles, waits for it, fields it at his 14, runs right to the 20, to the 25-yard line, slips a tackle at the 30, loose at the 35 and the 40-yard line, and they finally get to him at the 41-yard line. My goodness, is he dangerous. Jasper Brinkley with a special teams tackle. A handful of other Cardinals whiffed. And for one Cardinal, it was for good reason. Kind of a crazy play, fluke injury, uh, covering a punt. You know, a a routine play that I've done a million times. Uh, We punt the ball down, and I'm going to cover it. Darren Sproles is the returner. Um, And I initiate a blocker, and in that moment when I initiate him, I just shed away and go in to make the tackle. At this point, when Rashad's uh, finger gets caught in his helmet, uh, he was at a point that he was trying to reach to, to make a tackle, and everything happened so fast uh, that when he reached, and I guess his finger gets caught in the crossbar of his helmet. I go to the, the huddle, and I get the call, and I play the next down, and for some odd reason, like my hand is just intensely intensifying. The pain is getting worse. And that's when Rashad and his bloody glove caught the attention of Cardinals head trainer Tom Reed. I run up beside him and immediately notice in his glove there's a lot of blood. Uh, and I look down and before I know it, my white glove is, is fire hot red. It's blood everywhere. Um, I come off the field, you know, just thinking like, hey, maybe I lost the nail. Maybe, you know, something happened there. They run inside and get him in, on the table with a bunch of gauze and gauze under and over his hand and carefully peel back his glove. The excitement that I had was beginning to wear off, and before I know it, I could feel my heartbeat in my hand. 
It's like my hand is beating at the same rhythm as my heart. And all I can say is to the doctor, like, hey, man, I need some drugs. <laughs> like, I need something. He's like, well, we have to fully evaluate you before we can actually give you something. And, you know, so give us a chance to get the glove off. Uh, and that's when things got ugly. And it's right about now that the medical staff realize they're not going to be able to put their finger on the problem without the rest of the glove. They get just to the end where there's probably about just the tip of their finger left with, with dissecting back the glove take it off and throw it in the garbage. Dr. Wazlewski puts a bunch of gauze on his finger because there's blood flying everywhere, right? And in that moment, machinery comes in. I mean, where's the rest of the finger? Machine would be assistant trainer Jim Shear, who'd been on the job for nearly four decades. He dabs it a couple times and looks at it and tells Machine, you may want to get that glove out of the garbage can and see what the rest of the finger is <laughs> looks like in the glove. It was just like, oh, y'all looking for his finger? Uh, just check the trash. I think it's in his glove. Yeah, a guy who thought he'd seen it all was dumpster diving in the visiting locker room. And the glove is still intact. You know, it's normal. And they're like, well, let's just cut on up the finger and see. And they cut up the finger and it just falls right there on the table. It's just a, a small piece of bone and a little bit of nail and a little bit of skin. Nothing that they can put back together again. So essentially, he was missing from the, the bottom part of his nail. The rest of his finger was gone. From there, we hop in an ambulance and, you know, begin to go to the hospital and have immediate surgery. Take him over to the hospital, shave it back, the, the little nub of bone that was there so that there was enough skin left to make a flap, and fold it up and sew it at like a flap kind of like you're closing the end of a, of a, of a bag. Uh, and I can begin to watch the rest of the game uh, from the surgical room uh, there in New Orleans Hospital. <laughs> they put enough medicine and numbed it enough for Rashad to be uh, able to film the whole procedure. That's right. Instead of studying film, Rashad Johnson was filming his own surgery. Just another Sunday on the job. And maybe it was the painkiller talking, but Rashad was already talking about the next Sunday. What's the next step? Like, am I gonna be able to play next week? You know, am I gonna be able to get a manicure again? Like, you know, those are serious questions that we gotta talk about. <laughs> yeah, Rashad Johnson there, and I still don't know what's harder to believe, that it actually happened, that injury, or his good-natured reaction. Hence the title of this Cardinals folktale, Nine More. Because look, only one other player really in NFL history can relate. His name is Ronnie Lott. And that is next as we continue with this special edition of the Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford in Gilbert. And welcome back, everyone, into this special edition of the Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford in Gilbert. I'm Paul Calvisi. And when we talk about former Cardinal safety Rashad Johnson, you're talking about a former walk-on running back at Alabama who ended up a two-time team captain as a safety, an eight-year NFL player who had 16 picks and one lost fingertip. And that's where we pick it up. Right after surgery, following his 2013 game in New Orleans, Cardinals Folktales, nine more. So here's the post-op report. In emergency surgery at the hospital, the hand specialist shaved down the bone to prevent infection and stitched up the wound. There were no plans to reattach the fingertip. And in a nod to modern medicine, Rashad was already back at the stadium before the end of the game. Now, here's Darren Urban from azcardinals.com and Cardinals cornerbacks coach Kevin Ross, who both at the time, like most everyone, 
were still unaware. I gotta be honest, I didn't know about that until after the game was over. Um, you know, we knew he had left the game, so that was part of it, but you, we didn't really understand the gravity of the situation, which probably would have made me a little queasy anyways, because, I mean, that's gross. Man, think about your finger getting sniped right now. I mean, that, that's painful. I mean, that hurts. I mean, you get your finger caught in a door or something, it hurts, so I can't even imagine. It's gruesome. Hearing about people climbing through a garbage can to get a fingertip out of a glove and all that, uh, even now, kind of giving me the willies. Got clipped off and did that Ronnie Lott thing. It's like the Ronnie Lott effect. Ronnie Lott. 49ers Hall of Fame defensive back known for hard hits, picks, and his pinky, or what's left of it. Because in 1985-86, Lott declined bone graft surgery to fully repair his left pinky finger. Instead, Lott famously told team doctors to take the top of his injured finger off so he wouldn't miss any time. Let's just say Rashad Johnson is in a very exclusive club. You know, getting a call from Ronnie Lott, you know, got an opportunity to get on a call with him um, and just getting some insight. And a lot of people wouldn't understand us wanting to go back after such a maybe traumatic injury or having something so vastly, you know, happen to your life and him losing, you know, his finger. People wanted like, why are you trying to go back and play? Um, but there's something that we love to do and, and we love to compete. Um, and, you know, you battle through adversity to do what you love. Um, some of the things that he told me, man. So I just really valued that experience, you know, through it all. I think this was Rashad's way of saying, like, I got stripes now. You know, nobody can say, like, I've been through it all. Like, like I gave part of my finger to the game, almost like a sacrifice. I think he helped our mental toughness out back in that back end, big time. I think he helped our whole defense, period showing that kind of character and toughness. I mean, it definitely ended up being something that, you know, people could say was supposed to set you back. But for me, I always kind of find a way to say, you know, it can either be fuel or it can be weight. Um, and you decide. And for me, you know, it's always fuel to the fire to keep going. And Rashad definitely kept going, missing only two games. And then in his third game back, he had two picks. Cardinals dial up a blitz, back to pass Ryan, fires deep, near side, easy interception at the 12-yard line for Rashad Johnson. Back to pass goes Ryan, fires it up into the air, near side, going to be an easy interception. At the 25-yard line, it's Johnson. Now keep in mind that in college, Rashad Johnson was a walk-on at Alabama, a walk-on running back from a tiny 1A high school in-state, a zero-star recruit who ended up first-team All-SEC as a safety for Nick Saban and one of the only two-time team captains in Bama history. You know, I knew how quickly, you know, the tables could turn and how much it meant to, you know, continue to push forward and have that fighter mentality. So that, that, that's something that I've always had, and I think it rubbed off on that group uh, to continue to push forward um, and, and continue to fight for each other. And as much as teammates look out for each other, right, push each other, they bag on each other as well. And let's just say that Rashad had to play defense in his own locker room. I remember Gerard was always just saying, like, man, that tip is going to cost you an interception. Um, and I was like, man, like, don't play. Like, we don't need to say those type of things. And Gerard uh, tipped the ball, and it came over the top, and I had it right in my fingers, and it went right off that fingertip. I'll bet if Rashad Johnson had 10 fingers instead of nine and a half, he might have picked that one off. And I'll never forget, we come in the locker room, he was like, that dang finger. I told you to look it in. That dang finger. You know how Gerard is. He's like, I had that PBU. You're supposed to make that play. So, 
That, that was one, man. If anybody gave me heck about it, it was definitely JP. <laughs> and these nine more stories, they still resonate. Like in 2020, when Cardinals All-Pro Safety Buda Baker snagged his first career pick with a cast on his hand. Here's the Cardinals radio team, Dave Pash and Ron Wolflick. He's not the first Cardinal ever to play with nine fingers. Yes. Uh, Rashad Johnson did that, of course. Rashad's fell off. Uh, Buddha's <laughs> is back intact. He's just <laughs> this is this is the most graphic injury report ever. <laughs> I'm a truth teller, Wolf. I mean, it's it's not like it's a story that people aren't aware of. Uh, Rashad is still doing just fine. I think looking back on it now, we didn't realize how big of a story it was. Rashad Johnson. He's probably saying, "I had to lose the tip of my finger to get on the Dan Patrick Show." Hey, but. That's how you do it. Yep, in those next few days, Rashad went on not only with Dan Patrick, but SportsCenter, the Jim Rome Show. Rashad was the subject of a full feature on Sunday, NFL Countdown. But Rashad himself was the one who tweeted out three gruesome images of his forlorn finger. So leave it to Cardinals marketing whiz, Orlando Avila, to come up with an idea that he ran up the flagpole with Darren Urban of azcardinals.com. I remember getting a text from Orlando saying, you know, kind of playing off of it, and he sent a little screenshot of this, you know, foam finger that was missing a tip, obviously, just like Rashad. And I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was Orlando kind of being Orlando. But then we started talking about it a little bit, and like, you know, do you think we can put that out there without essentially offending anybody, including Rashad? Um, and Jim Omohundra was running the social media at the time. Yeah, we, we went back and forth for about five minutes, and we decided to, hey, let's send a text to Rashad and see what he thinks. So Darren fires off a text, and in less than a minute, Rashad gets back and says, oh, this is great, I love it, yeah, yeah do it, do it, do it. So we put that out, and you know, all of a sudden the retweets start racking up, and you know, we went viral, not just on social media. What I really remember most of all is later that day, uh, being in the hotel room, the two of us, and we had ESPN Sports Center on, and then all of a sudden having that tweet show up on Sports Center, and we're thinking, okay, this has really hit the big time <laughs> that you have this tweet out there of, of making fun of what probably wasn't something you should be making fun of, to be honest. You know, it was a lot of a lot of talk afterwards. Um, you know, from the burn, uh, part of the interruption, uh, to Sports Center. You know, talking to it on Sunday before, you know, the Sunday night game. We knew it was a big story because I was like, the guy made T-shirts that, that saying that he got nine more fingers. The question was asked, like, hey, man, you know, you lost a portion of your finger. Or you lost a finger. You know, like, what are you going to do? I'm like, I got nine more. And everybody wore it under their shoulder pads for the rest of the year and all of that. Nine more is a mindset. You know, like, do I focus on the one or do I focus on what I have? Um, so I think it's just a shift in life. Um, it, it's what I do, you know, on a daily basis. Um, it's what's gotten me through the transition post my career. It's like, do you focus on not playing football no more or on the beauty of your wife and the beautiful girls that you have? So on one hand, Rashad's missing finger was the most clicked story on ESPN.com. On the other hand, Rashad's young daughter saw it differently as simply her daddy's identity. Something that looked like an imperfection to me became a soother to her. Um, because at nighttime, when she wanted to lay down, she would want to hold my hand, but she would want to grab this finger. She didn't want any other finger but that finger. And she would hold it and like lay there and hold it until she went to sleep. 
Um, and it was just just the greatest thing to me. Like I said, like it looked like an imperfection, looked like something you know was taken from me, um, but it's an actual comforter to her. So it was just, it was so much beauty in that for me. See, it's not all downside. In fact, Rashad also finds beauty in the nine and a half finger discount. The perks. I think the biggest one was the 10% off on the manicures. I kind of, I, you know, I, I use that every time I go into the, the salon and I'm in there and the lady's like, what are you talking about? You know, they kind of ask me, I'm like, look, I'm missing a finger. So 10% off or, or we can't, the price isn't good. So that's kind of one of the things I use all the time when I go to do something like that. Post my injury, I actually had more productions, you know, as an interceptor. Fact. In his eight-year NFL career, Rashad Johnson had 16 interceptions, including playoffs, three before the injury and 13 after. And Gerard Powers has a theory. Maybe that him losing a part of that finger gave him some type of advantage in catching the ball uh, because I don't remember him being that good of a catcher when all 10 of his fingers were intact. Speaking of memories, how often is Rashad Johnson reminded of the injury? It definitely comes up a lot uh, since, you know, post-career. There's very few guys that have played the game and actually lost a portion, you know, of their finger. Uh, myself and Ronnie Lauder, too, that I can think of. I'm telling you, Rashad thought it was like a war story, how he was explaining it to everybody. Like, he had just... You know, we'll probably keep adding stuff to it as the years go. Like, at, at some point, I'm pretty sure it'll be a game-saving tackle, lost his finger, you know, and all that type of deal. So every year, we add and add to it. Yeah, the tall tails might grow, but the middle finger, not so much. Keep in mind, the first three fingers on Rashad's left hand are all basically the same length. And I remember just literally laughing at him because I kept saying, I was like, hey, man, I said, your finger's going to grow back. I actually do have a nail that is continually trying to grow back. So maybe if I didn't, you know, go through the whole process, then, you know, it would have kind of grew back in some disformed kind of way maybe and it gave me my full function. But uh, but I'm glad to have, you know, the little bit that I can get. I, I just reach into my other hand if I got to get something out of the corner of that pocket. <laughs> when I get older and my kids grow and, and this story get brought up at a family function with me and Rashad, uh, I'm going to definitely be the one that's animated and telling everything that happens. <laughs> and that's Cardinals Folktales, nine more presented by Seeky. Thanks for joining us, everyone. For producer Jim Almohandro, I'm Paul Calvisi. Bottom line, if anyone is equipped to handle the emotions and aftermath of losing a part of themselves, literally, when Patrick Peterson said after the game that Rashad's finger was, quote, leaking like a faucet, well, Rashad has always been that 1% in more ways than one. It's definitely a, a mentality uh, as a, you know, one percenter, you know, in the NFL that you have to have that mentality to take adversity and use it as fuel. And again, Rashad Johnson missing his fingertip, only missed two games. And then in his first game back, he had two picks. That is a Cardinals folktale. But we're not done yet on this special edition of the Big Red Rage. With Mexico City on the Cardinals' schedule this season, we're going to go back to the 2005 trip to Estadio Azteca when we continue on the Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. And welcome back in, everyone, to this very special edition of the Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. I'm Paul Calvisi, our Cardinals Folktales edition where he can't spell the word history without the word story. And I'd say in my more than two decades of covering the Cardinals, home and away, 
The Mexico City road trip circa 2005 was top five all time. First off, you're in Mexico's capital city. Elevation, 7,700 feet. That's more than 2,000 feet higher than Denver in a legendary stadium. Nonstop energy, over 100,000 fans in there, right? Every play matters to these fans. You know, the Cardinals have a vast radio network in Mexico that has grown over the years. And so much of that growth you can trace back to that October night, 2005, as we hit play on this Cardinals folktale titled One Time in Mexico. What were your thoughts on playing in Mexico, first of all? It was great. It's a great experience to get outside the world. and, uh, and just The a- world? <laughs> you know how we do it. I thought it was a... Uh- one of the biggest moments of my career, believe it or not. I mean, 195, 200 games, but the way Stadio Azteca and the Mexican people reacted to that flag, I, I got goosebumps under here. I mean, it was absolutely in fuego. <laughs> We're about to come into the biggest arena in Latin America, and I think Estadio Azteca really brought it that day. A cargo de su coach en jefe, Dennis Green y los Cardenales de Arizona. Is this actually happening? An NFL professional game is being played here, one that counts. It actually happened. It definitely counted, and it will always stand as NFL history. An amazing scene. Flash bulbs popping for the first ever National Football League regular season game abroad. That's right. Never before had an NFL regular season game been played outside the United States. This is Cardinals Folktales, presented by 72 Soul, where we go in-depth into Cardinals history, all-time anecdotes through the personal recollections and memories of those who lived it. It was in freaking incredible. It was the birth of international football for the NFL. One time in Mexico, that time when the Cardinals turned a home game into the first ever NFL regular season contest played on international soil. My name is Paul Calvisi, and I was part of the Cardinals radio broadcast team that day, along with analyst Ron Wolfley and longtime voice of the Cardinals, Dave Pash. October 2nd, 2005, the Cardinals again make history as they take on the San Francisco 49ers from Estadio Azteca in Mexico City. Estadio Azteca, built as Mexico's mythical temple, one of the world's most revered stadiums. It has hosted World Cup finals and has wowed everyone from Pele to the Pope. The atmosphere, pretty unbelievable. Die-hard football fans here, even if some of these folks have never seen an NFL game on television, they are into it. Before we get to that day in that stadium, realize that it all started years earlier with the advent of the Cardinals' new stadium. Team owner, Michael Bidwell. The largest population of NFL fans outside the United States is actually Mexico City. And so I looked at it, I went to Commissioner Tagliabue, and I said, look, we've got one season left at Sun Devil Stadium. We're happy to give up a game, especially if it's an early game, and play a home game regular season. It had never been done in regular season. And so we looked at this idea of taking it international. 
It's time now for the Mexican and American National Anthems. Mexicano salvito de guerra, el acero y el brido. As a kid, you would see it a lot, right? You would see it on TV, and, and sometimes you would say, one day I want to walk that field. I was there. I was walking it with my Cardinals. That's the voice of Rolando Cantu, the first Mexican-born non-kicker to play in the NFL. He was an offensive lineman for that 2005 Cardinals team, and as big as Rolando is in person, just physically, he's a giant. The measurables of an NFL O-lineman, 6'5", 360-plus. His persona is bigger in Mexico. Dave Pash. Rolando's a great story. And I think, you know, Rolando in a lot of ways for a lot of people there probably was a symbol of, of hope. Like, hey, Rolando's playing pro football. You know, I can play pro football. I can break ground. Rolando represents a lot for, for many people. I mean, the fact that this guy, the first actual national to come from Mexico and not be a kicker. We saw a lot of Rolando Cantu jerseys being sold and a lot of people buying it. We had some real stars at the time and they're getting off the bus walking right through the Mexican press, and then all of a sudden Rolando Cantu, and they just swarm on him. They didn't know who some of these other guys were that were just walking past him. I'm surprised they didn't have him like on a throne carrying him around. I mean, he was like a legend and and for good reason for uh, making the Arizona Cardinals team. But I just remember everybody talked about Rolando, like, oh, do you know Rolando? Do you know Rolando Cantu? Yes, I know. I know Rolando Cantu. They they weren't concerned with... uh, a young Larry Fitzgerald, or, you know, they just wanted to know if we knew Rolando. For those of us who were on that trip, there was Rolando Cantu, and everyone else was a sidekick, even Fitz. But that goes back to 1996, when as a kid, Rolando attended the American Bowl, a series of preseason NFL games held outside the U.S., including when the Chiefs and Cowboys met in his native Monterey, Mexico. But this wasn't any preseason game. And the fans, they knew it. That day, the fans were different. They were hungry to be a part of something unique. And the unique part about it was this was a regular season game. This game was going to count. It wasn't an American Bowl. It wasn't an exhibition game. This game was going to be remembered in the history books. And if you got a ticket to go to Estadio Azteca, you're a part of history. Speaking of, the previous NFL record for attendance for a regular season game was when the Rams played the Niners at the L.A. Coliseum in 1957 in front of 102,368 fans. But again, this was Estadio Azteca, an eighth wonder of the world. Estadio Azteca, just mammoth. I I mean, that's the first thing that I think when you walk in here, you know, you just cannot believe the rows go on and on and on. So I come out of the locker room for the first time, and I look up, and my jaw hits the ground. I could not believe how big this building was. Basically, picture the biggest stadium you've ever been in, and then add an upper deck to it. When I looked up, I got dizzy. It was so high. That's Jim Omohundro, longtime producer of the Arizona Cardinals radio network, and true that. Personally, I've been in Ann Arbor, I've been on the field for Michigan-Notre Dame, 100,000 fans, but Estadio Azteca, it's bigger. Its capacity is 120,000 plus, and as owner Michael Bidwell notes, that might be the more accurate attendance figure. Their suites, they didn't count the number of people that were up there. So when you buy a suite, they didn't sell tickets. It was just, you could invite 40 people up there if you wanted. So they had no idea 
how many people are in those suites and the number they believe that's a low estimate of who was actually in the stadium that day because they think there might have been another 15 or 20,000 people in the in the suites that were just not counted. What was interesting is that reports had tickets sold going into the weekend at around 65,000, but there was a huge late surge in interest and a massive walk-up. So by the time we had game time, attendance was officially listed as a new NFL record. We have 103,467 on hand, an NFL regular season record. Wow. How about that for a number? I wish everybody can feel what 100,000 people feel like on the field. Like you're on the field and 100,000 people are watching you. It's just different, man. That's former Cardinal safety Robert Griffith. All the players knew the fans were going to be a factor El Grande former Pro Bowl pass rusher Bertrand Berry. It really was a different energy where the fans were going nuts the entire time, whether something good happened for us or something bad happened for us. I just remember the crowd just yelling no matter what. They just wanted to see us go out there and and play. I just remember it being loud the entire game in a good way that people were so excited that there was an NFL game going on. In a general sense, they were just rooting for something big to happen every play. It it felt like a big party. (laughs) It felt like a big party. The people there were just hungry to be a part of that first regular season game outside the U.S. And that's where the game planning went beyond the field and into the stands. Who could capture the fans? And that became a game of who could capture the flag. Going through my mind, I was just more, who are the Mexican people going to cheer for? And the Cardinals needed that 12th man because, remember, they got down two touchdowns and two Niner fumble returns early before they would storm back and score 31 unanswered. But this was a win for the Cardinals that went way beyond the scoreboard or the standings. And we'll explain the how and the why next as we roll on with our special Cardinals Folktales edition of the Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford in Gilbert. And welcome back, everyone, into this very special edition of the Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford and Gilbert. We are Santan Ford. I'm Paul Calvisi. As we revisit our Cardinals folktale series, we're talking all-time anecdotes in Cardinals history. And this was unlike any road trip in NFL history. First off, it was the first regular season game, NFL game, outside the United States ever. And second, it was in front of an NFL record crowd of more than 103,000 fans. We're talking about the Cardinals and Niners in Mexico City 2005. And to hear the players tell it, that crowd factor was a deciding factor. And that's where we pick things up here with former Cardinal safety Robert Griffith on Cardinals Folktales one time in Mexico. Again, who would turn over 100,000 fans into their 12th man? That was the question, and the Cardinals had an answer. Start the game by playing flag football, if you will. I had a dream that I had a flag, and there was a flag there, and I kept seeing this Mexican flag in my dream. Uh, It just spoke to me. You know, I, I just felt like it was just something that just felt real to do, just felt appropriate. That's Robert's idea. And it was brought to me, and I searched out my contact at the stadium to see if we could even get a flag. 
That's Anthony Edwards, former director of player programs, a do-everything man for the Cardinals, and a former Cardinals receiver. At this point, the teams were already into their pregame warm-ups. The game hadn't started, but the clock was ticking. Rob was like, hey, we need to get a flag. We need a flag. I need to get the, the Mexico flag, because I thought he was, when he first said flag, I'm like, USA? No, 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 Mexico flag. You know, and I said, hold on, let me see what I can do. So here I am rushing to try to get my contact, see if we can locate a flag somewhere close for him to run out with. And so, and it just happened. We were able to get the flag. It was there. Yeah, let's just say the Cardinals clock management traveled that day internationally. Don't you love it when a plan comes together? When we were in that tunnel right before we went out to the game and he unrolls this flag and it was on like a broomstick handle and literally gave it to me maybe 10 seconds before I ran out. Once I knew Robert was going to grab that flag, we just kind of nodded heads, shook hands, and said, go, go, bro, because this is going to be big. What a great scene. Robert Griffith with the Mexican national flag waving it and racing onto the field. That was awesome. Robert bursting out of that tunnel with that flag. I think it just ignited the whole place up. It was, a, it was a brilliant move, to be honest with you. I think the fans saw this as the first impression of the Arizona Cardinals. All of a sudden, Robert Griffith comes right out of that hat, waving the Mexican flag. That really was a great touch here. Oh, the crowd went crazy. It was loud. It was so loud. That place was unbelievably loud. I go out with the flag, and I just felt 10 feet tall, man. Like, I felt like every step I was taking was just magnetized. Once he ran out, that was kind of like, you know what? Mexico, the Cardinals are here. Los Cardenales han llegado. And for me, it was like, okay, this is going to work out tremendously because of the pride the fans in Mexico take once they see their, their country's colors, right? And especially the flag. Quite honestly, after the flag, you know, I can honestly say they wanted us to win. Maybe, but that's not the way the game started with the Niners' defense scoring two quick touchdowns. The count turns and hands for ship, running right, fumble the ball, it's loose at the 20, and it's picked up by the 49ers. Derek Johnson running near side, 40, 50, being chased by McCown. Josh won't get him. 30, 20, 10, 5, touchdown San Francisco. If you do recall, they jumped out on us 14 to nothing. Before we ever took the field, It was they had two turnovers and scored. We were, what's going on here? I mean, how, how did we get to 14 to nothing? And that's where the Cards started their comeback, led by second-year receiver Larry Fitzgerald, doing signature Larry things right before the half. Third and one of the 17, McCown back to throw, going to lock into the end zone, far side, Fitzgerald goes up, touchdown, Arizona! Larry Fitzgerald with his second of the year! Dave Pash injecting a little local flavor into the call, 14-12 Niners at the half, but second half, Toto, Rojo, all red as the tide turned on the scoreboard and in the stands. I felt like as we started to take control of the game, we won the crowd over eventually. And eventually the Cardinals won the game. In fact, it wasn't that close. As the Niners never scored again, the Cardinals defense pitching a shutout, feeding off 100,000-plus fans, as we reported, from the sideline. You know, a lot of people and a lot of talk that the Cardinals gave up home field advantage to come down here to Mexico City, but the fans on this end of the stadium, as loud as we have heard them. The fans also love cards kicker Neil Rackers. First, because Mexico is a soccer-crazy nation, and they love anyone who puts the foot into football Americano. 43-yard attempt for Neil Rackers, who's 4-for-4 tonight. 
The snap, the spot. Rackers kick is up. It's got the leg, and it is good. Yeah, Neil's all fired up right now. The camera went down onto him, and it looked like he said, Booyah! On the game, Rackers had a career high six field goals. Now, that's a season where, remember, Rackers hit 40 of 42 field goals in an all pro campaign. Thing is, Rackers might have traded all that for a shot at a 70 yard field goal, which he wanted and definitely thought was doable in Mexico City where the ball flies because, remember, it's 2,000 feet higher than Denver, over 7,700 feet in elevation. These guys are gassed on the Cardinals' sideline. It's so bad that the mascot, Big Red, who, by the way, is going with the nickname on his back tonight, Pajaro Rojo, okay, he came up to me at halftime and said he was wiped out physically from the elevation, okay? It's hitting everybody out here. Final score, 31-14, as the Cardinals savored the win and soaked in the scene. The Cardinals win in the first ever NFL regular season game in Mexico City, beating the San Francisco 49ers. But before the Cardinals would leave the field, the players would wave goodbye, some by waving the flag, this time in the hands of Bertrand Berry and Rolando Cantu. Somebody on the sideline had it, and it being one of the captains at the time, I mean, and knowing that we were going to win the game, you get afforded some liberties. And so uh, they gave me the freedom to go and take the flag. And, and uh, I know uh, Griff at the beginning of the game had uh, ran out with it. And so I kind of wanted to have my crack at it. I, I would have loved to run out, but Griff beat me to it. B-Train gives me the flag and I, I take it over and then I have to do a bunch of media um, interviews right after the game on the sideline, which was very, really cool. And uh, so I have the flag on my shoulder, right? And obviously, you know, in between interviews, I would wave the flag like Robert, like B-Train, and it got the same reaction, right? So it was it was a special moment. I think I will always remember that. Uh, on the far side, Bertrand Berry has handed off the uh, Mexican flag to Rolando Cantu, a native of Monterey, Mexico. I think that day, everybody felt a part of the Arizona Cardinals because of the flag. By the way, to this day, no one knows where the flag went. It was in the Cardinals' locker room and vanished, never seen again. So although the Cardinals didn't bring back the flag, they definitely brought back a buzz. It was palpable around town and in the locker room. What were your thoughts on playing in Mexico? It was great. It's a great experience to get outside the world. and, uh, and this The is world? A- <laughs> <laughs> You know how we do it. This dude said he played outside the world. Outside the world is big, dude. See, it was a big buzz, right? But that was then. Anquan Bolton with Robert Tate in his weekly TV segment coming off Mexico City. This is now Robert Griffith to this day on how he brought home much more than just a victory. This has nothing to do with football. This is the way the Mexican fans made me feel. And I've never had an experience like that in my life. And I, like when I say they were screaming at me and I felt like I could levitate off the ground, I'm telling the truth. And it wasn't just Cardinals players who had their passports stamped. You could say that for the entire NFL. To know that the sport took a big step forward outside of the U.S., and we were part of that, I take great pride in that. I love this game. I love what the game did for me. I love the competition aspect of it. I love the brutality of it. I love everything about football. 
And to be able to grow the sport in that way, to take it somewhere, even though they had had preseason games there before, but to have one that actually counted and, and got the attention that it got, I was very proud of it. And Josh McCown takes the football and runs off with it. And he gives it to Michael Bidwell over on the far side. And that's a very classy move by Josh McCown. We try to be trailblazers and we want to be at the front of innovation. You know, what can we be doing that will not only set us apart, but we think is really good for the game and good for fans and that fans would be interested in. And sure enough, the first NFL regular season game played outside the United States, which set a record for the largest crowd ever to attend an NFL regular season game, was an international venture that has now turned into an annual affair. We're cemented in history in American football history in Mexico because of that game. And that's one time in Mexico. For producer Jim Omohundro, I'm Paul Calvisi. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Cardinals Folktales, presented by 72 Soul. And I'll tell you what. I cannot wait for the Encore this year. It's going to be week 11. That's right, in your Cardinals schedule, November 21st. Cardinals and Niners in Mexico City in prime time in Estadio Azteca. And it'll be a key NFC West game as well. Special thanks to producer Jim Alejandro, Lauren Koval. I'm Paul Calvisi. This has been the Big Red Rage presented by Santan Ford in Gilbert. You've been listening to The Big Red Rage, presented by Santan Ford in Gilbert. Are you Santan Ford? State Farm. Talk to an agent today at 800-STATE-FARM. And by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. This has been an exclusive presentation of the Arizona Cardinals Football Club.